A storied CFL franchise. Riley, he's going to keep it. He hits the five. Hey, Edmonton, that's your quarterback. Mike Riley to the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimo. With a loyal and passionate following. We finally can say we're champions. Bring it back to the seat of champions. This is the show that brings you the stories and personalities of the green and gold. Yeah. <laughs> 6.30 chance. This is the Eskimo Show. Now your host, Morley Scott on Eskimos Radio. 630 Chad. Hey, good evening, everybody. It is 8.05, and this is another edition of the Eskimo Show. And it's a good one tonight. It's good for you because you get less of me. Uh, we got the roundtable assembled tonight. Uh, from my left to my right, Dave Campbell. 6.30 Chad Sports, Eskimos uh, broadcast. Hey, Dave. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for hanging out and staying a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, to Dave's left is uh, Jerry Matajong. Uh, Post Media, I believe, is the correct terminology. Hey, Jer. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my pleasure. And uh, Blake Dermott, uh, uh, Eskimo, former Eskimo, Great Cup champion. Not a former Great Cup champion, because once you win the Great Cup, you're always a Great Cup champion. Uh, he uh, joins us as well. Hey, Blake. How you doing? How's, I'm good. How's the school season going? You guys are almost <laughs> done. You're just telling me you had a pretty good game last yeah, night? Yeah, we had a pretty good game last night. It was uh, we, we lost again, but we... Uh, we had some big strides. We took some big strides with our young team. It's all about the future. It is. It's all about yeah. the future, right? <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Eskimos lose uh, in Vancouver to the BC Lions on Saturday night. Uh, first off, let's Blake, give me your, your your first take, your impressions of of that football game and a game that and and we talked a lot post game with uh, with coach Jason Moss and a couple of players. The the bye week seemed to hit them. seemed seemed to take their legs away, especially early early on. Yeah. Well, when you only play three quarters, uh, it it's tough to win a game and and uh you know they started out really slow they've had a they've had a history of that over the last couple of years but this was coming off a bye i think uh, we all anticipated that they would be fresh and ready to go and and uh with uh, a home playoff date in sight it would have been uh, you know a, a better performance but they just really struggled out of the gate yeah clearly jerry wrong time to come up short because there was a lot on the line in that game and pretty much they still can't finish second but they they need uh rainbows lollipops and a whole bunch of different things to go their way it, it was really bad timing as you mentioned because uh i mean the same weekend we we see the golden bears go what seven overtimes these guys can barely <laughs> put together a half in a game which was it was too bad uh and we hadn't really seen them get run over on the ground like that in in quite a while so it was it was surprising all around for me yeah, Dave, that's that's a good point, Jerry. I mean, the running game, BC. Well, BC is the best running team in the league, and they proved it. Well, I think it allowed BC to get comfortable offensively uh, right from the get-go. They established Jeremiah Johnson, which is what they were not able to do back on September 23rd against the Eskimos. And really, uh, three games out of the four prior to the game on Saturday, the Lions were struggling in the run department. But they established it early, and I think that allowed them to stay on the field. I mean, they had a drive over seven minutes and then another drive over six minutes. Uh, and f as far as the Eskimos are concerned, not on the field long enough to establish anything in the first half. Only five points scored. Got better in the second half, um, and John White was established a lot more. The problem is they were, they were chasing the game right from the word go, and that was a big problem. The Eskimos just did not find a lot of traction on offense and on defense they were uh, not very good on second and long especially and uh, you know had a fumble on the special teams which uh, did not 
you know, bite them initially, but uh, you know, it was the game where they just were not very sharp. Second and long's been been kind of their Achilles heel defensively. I mean, they've so many games. If you go back almost every game they've lost, there's a situation where they've been had the team second and fifteen, second and nine, whatever it is, and they make a big play and they convert. The thing that I, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, that, that, on the, from a defensive standpoint, that's been something that's plagued them a little bit this year. But the thing that I was most surprised with is the uh, the amount of missed tackles. I talked. We talked about this after the game. Like there was just, you know, they mm-hmm. they had clear shots at Johnson. They had clear shots at receivers, and, and they just didn't, you know, weren't able to finish and bring the guy down. And that that's really uncharacteristic of virtually every pro team, but certainly the Eskimos this year. I mean, they, I mean, they they've. They had a lot of problems with busts and coverage earlier, and they, they were in the right positions. They just didn't make the plays that they needed to, and that that was something that I think is a little bit concerning. We saw so many times Johnson seemed to get, or Rainey even when he was in sometimes, he get, he, he should have been maybe a two, three, four-yard gain. Next thing you know, he's getting 15 yards out of it. And and first down and chains move, and Eskimos are back in kind of in, in a backing up position on defense. It's, it's got to be tough after, uh, well, especially coming in without Brandon Thompson. They're... they're top defensive back all season sure. since, uh, since he's got here. But uh, but to see Pat Watkins go down uh, on, the, on the corner too and then all of a sudden they're uh, kind of piecemealing stuff together back there and, and worrying about the pass and then all of a sudden BC's running on them. So. Sadly the DBs are making tackles on the running back which is never a good <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. Well and I did feel and it's a good point that you brought up Jerry about Pat Watkins leaving the game and he left the game I think late in the, late in the first quarter. I thought that had a bit of an impact because if you notice on second and long, Mike Benavides was playing a little bit of games with uh, disguising coverage and, and sending different sorts of blitzes and, and that and you know from linebackers and I thought that went away after Pat Watkins left the game and you know he has a young secondary, you got Peters on the corner, you got Tyler Thornton playing at half and they were rotating Koshi Mwamba in on some situations as well. Um, so it just felt like to me Mike Benavides was going okay we got to stay with base four man pressure and get to the quarterback and uh, that didn't work very well because Jonathan Jennings had all kinds of time um, but I think it goes back to the missed tackles I mean they had opportunities to get off the field and they just could not get off the field Blake are you surprised they took today off uh, and again let's pre- they didn't take today off they didn't go on the field today I'm sure they were in the classroom they were looking at the game plan and everything uh, it is a short week they I, I know going into the season Jason Moss said they'll always have the day after a game off which they got which was Sunday uh, but he's elected uh, I imagine classroom work today and then they're on the field again tomorrow I don't know if I'm surprised by it I mean it's what they've done all year um it's not what we would have done when we played. Mind you, we didn't have any choice in the matter. You know, we just coaches said you have to be on the field. We were on the field, but but short weeks, we we just didn't have a day off. Period. We just went normal schedule. You know, so if it was a seven days between games, we had one day off. If it was six days between games, we didn't have any days off. It, and I and I know that could be with what the the bargaining agreement is with the amount of times and practice and contact and all that kind of stuff. But uh, but no, I. Uh, uh, whether you're in the classroom, whether you're going easy on the field, which is what we probably would have done, uh, I, I think that uh, it's important that they, they get back into it mentally. And uh, if that's what they did, then, then that'll work for them. It has all year. Yeah, and it is a short turnaround, and they got it's a terrible schedule. We, we talked about that since the schedule came out in January. I mean, they were in, they're in Vancouver. Then they're in Hamilton. Then they're then they're home. Now they might, because of the playoff situation, be going back out east again. Uh, they've just been crisscrossing the country, four straight road games. Uh, terrible schedule, but you got to figure out a way to get around it, right? You can't. I mean, you can't use it as an excuse. 
you got to figure out how to win and figure out what to do best for your team. And maybe Jason's decided, like, you know, we just need a day off today. We just need to rest, rest the bodies and work the mind. How much is it that they're more than likely going for that crossover spot, too? I mean, that's their guaranteed playoff spot. It's going to take more than uh, them just winning to, to make it in the West now. And, uh, I mean, maybe they have decided the stars are aligned and that's the way it's going to be. And uh, they might as well start resting up for it. Well, I can see that. It, you know, I, I got a lot of that on Twitter yesterday, on on my on my on my uh, on my notification or my notification saying, "Hey, Dave, should they rest players now?" And the impression I got from the from Jason Moss, especially, is I don't think they're they're feeling they're in that position on Friday. They're in a position we have to play well and we have to try and get a win here. Um, you know, depending what happens after the weekend, because uh, they could be. I mean, the scenario is this: they cross over officially if if the Eskimos lose or or um, Winnipeg beats the Red Blacks on Saturday. So their their fate could be sealed as early as Friday or Saturday, or who knows? Maybe they, you know, there's a chance they could finish third too. But um, I think they got to get through Friday, and I think Friday is not a critical game necessarily, but I think it's a very important game. For this team to try and uh, you know get a win and get some good feelings going into the playoffs. Well, this will be the team that they're going to play again in two weeks. So probably, uh, yeah. You know, well, it depends. Like if 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 they win, especially if they win on Friday, then it pretty much that assures I think that they'll play Hamilton. That's right. Yeah, because uh, yeah. Ottawa blew the chance of. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And right. if or if Ottawa wins, they'll clinch first place as well. Uh, is there anything to that? Do you do you go into that game with that in the back of your mind, thinking? We couldn't play these guys in a playoff game in two weeks. We got to learn as much as we can and not show as much as we can. Well, I think it, I think it does matter, especially you're going to have to play them there and then there again. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you want to you want to instill in your minds and in the mind of the players that you can go into their to their building and, and beat them, and uh, and you want that that opponent to know that that these guys have done it before and they'll do it again. So, I, I think yeah, there's this big psychological advantage for them to go in there and play well against Hamilton. I think it's kind of twofold too. Is you know you're, you're still playing for something in the West, so put the pressure back on Winnipeg and back on the Lions on Saturday. Lions they finish up with the Riders uh, home and home, uh, like the uh, the Bombers they have a home and home against the Red Blacks. So I think it's incumbent on them when the game put pressure back on those teams. Um, the the chances are very slim, but at the, at the same time you got to work on your own game too. And um, yeah, the shell game I think is going to be very interesting to see what happens. On uh, you know on Friday or how much of a shell game they might they may just go you know we got to win a game and we're gonna throw everything we can at at the opponent I don't know I think if if they had a loss on Saturday and played much better than they did they'd be a little less concerned about that I think their bottom line is they got to play better they got to they got to play better to win they got to play better to be successful in two weeks times come playoff time and I think everything's out the window you just play your best players as long as you can so that everybody's playing as well as they can be going into the playoffs. I think when, when you look at Hamilton, I, I think especially the way these teams have played each other the past few years, the question is, is Zach Laris going to start and is he going to finish? Because they're completely different with him or without mm-hmm. him. And uh, they've been without him more uh, more often than not in games against these Eskimos. I remember the the uh, the Willis hit and uh, the Mathieu Boulet hit and both knocked uh, the starting QB out of the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Eskimos took full advantage. So it's going to be uh, 
interesting to see. Well, maybe if Calaris plays, they won't have to worry about going up against CFL record holders. Yeah. You know? Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you look at you look at the record against Calaris in the last couple of years, I think it's probably been uh, a winning record. I mean, as you mentioned, you got knocked out of the game a couple of years yeah. ago, and, it, yeah. and then Masoli comes in and sets a record, and, and uh, uh, they played uh, last year, they played against uh, Calaris, and I think that was when uh, Riley had the 49-yard passing game, and they yep. still won and that won. game. So, in Hamilton, yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know if Calaris is the the uh, the jinx like uh, Trevor Harris is in Ottawa. So uh, there's always weird games in Hamilton. It goes back to when you played Blake. There's been weird games, whether it was Ivor Win, and there's been a couple of weird games the Eskimos have been involved with uh, the last two years at Tim Hortons Field. Always something strange happens in Hamilton. <laughs> How many stories can you tell? <laughs> it is an interesting place. Guy, really Ivor Wynn, uh, Tim Hortons is better now because it's a better field, but everybody hated playing at Ivor Wynn, right? Yeah. Because it's just a well, it was uh, a dump. It's, it 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 had character. <laughs> That's a nice way to say it. <laughs> no, it was, I remember it, my, my first time there with the Eskimos. Dwayne Mandrusiak took me in the dressing room, and I remember saying, "Is that smell what I think it is?" And he said, "Yep." <laughs> and uh, then he said, then he showed me. He says, "Come over and see this," and it's the bathroom stalls. And at Iverwind Stadium, inside the visitors' dressing room, there's the toilets. And if you sit on the toilet and open up the door to the stall and the door to the dressing room, you're looking right through the uprights at the end of the field, and you can watch the whole game sitting on the can. It's, uh, I'm like, are you kidding me? This is professional football. Best seat in the house. I, I did get a great picture there, I'll tell you that. <laughs> for sure. uh, but uh, it is no more, that's for sure. Uh, Eskimos will be heading to Tim Horton's field uh, in Hamilton on Friday. 3.30 for the pregame show here on 6.30, Chad. 5 o'clock for the kickoff. Uh, I'm Morley Scott. Dave Campbell, Blake Dermott from our uh, football uh, team is in here, as well as uh, Jerry Modijon from Post Media. We're going to kick around for another 40 minutes or so here on the Eskimo Show on 630 Chad. You're listening to the Eskimo Show on Eskimos Radio, 630 Chad. Uh, the Eskimo Show tonight, a roundtable with uh, Blake Dermott, uh, Jerry Montajon, and uh, Dave Campbell. My name is Morley Scott. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming in, guys. Uh, appreciate you uh, taking your time out, uh, especially you guys who are you know, only got two nights at home this week, so appreciate it. Leaving on Wednesday again for uh, Friday. <laughs> Short turnaround for the Eskimos. Here's the question I want to pose to everybody. Uh, we'll start with you, Jerry. East or West? I mean, it's maybe, uh, as they say, a moot question now because it, it appears they're going to go east. There's still a chance uh, to finish in the west, uh, and there's still a chance to finish second. Let's get that on the books first. Here's the situation. If all three teams finish at uh, 10 and 8, is that right? Yeah, 10 and yep. 8, then the Eskimos win the tiebreaker. They get second place. But to do that, all six games have to fall their way. The Lions and the Bombers have to lose two. Eskimos have to win two. So we'll see how, how it shakes down. But it looks like the Eskimos are going east. Does it matter, do you think, Jer? Are, are you asking me if, if I think the defending champs actually sandbagged? Just no, 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 no. I'm not asking you that at all. The conspiracy theorist in me has to think oh. that, you know, these yeah, guys we, can all of a sudden floor it, and then whoa, 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 we're going to take our take our foot off the gas. So, so they, what did they start out two and one, then lose three, and then win three, and then lose three, win three, and then you are a conspiracy one, theorist. So. <laughs> well, think about it. Your whole life is lived on the grassy knoll. <laughs> I'm just putting it up. It, I mean, but at the same time, how neat would it be to see, uh, you know, them make it through the East? The end of it is, is and, pretty and cool. It, yeah. It's pretty cool if it's a Calgary-Edmonton Grey Cup. But a lot has to go right first. To me, I don't, I, I don't think it, and I, I, that's the impression I get from the players, too, is they don't care. They just want to be playing well heading in 
to the playoffs. So win, play well, win whatever you can win, and just see where you land. First of all, I wouldn't say Jerry lived his life on the grassy knoll like, with that toque and that beard and that ratty shirt. He looked like yeah, he lived under a bridge. Beard. <laughs> Mom, I need bail money. <laughs> under a bridge. <laughs> uh, I forgot what the question was. East or, East or West? Um, you know, I, I, I think... Uh, that answer was much better anyway. Yeah, I, I think that the... Uh, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not one of those guys who's convinced that it's going to be the easier route to go east because it's just what you talked about—the travel schedule, the the fact that it's a long ways. You got time zones. You got uh, uh, the the eastern teams have had, are teams that have had uh, are, are good teams. I'm going into the season. Ottawa was was rated one of the top teams, and Hamilton we knew was rated one of the top teams. Both of those teams have had a series of injuries, probably more so than other teams, especially Hamilton. They've they've had a ton of them. And uh, I, I think when you come, playoffs becomes, it's a different season now. Everything gets, the slate gets wiped clean. And, and so for Edmonton to go, I don't think it's an easier route to go to go east. Uh, but I, you know, uh, it would be, it'd be interesting if they did have an all Alberta uh, a great that'd cup. That'd be great. As, it, as Odell Willis said, uh, Edmonton, Calgary in the great cup in the six, that'd be dope. And uh, <laughs> he's right. It'd be a lot of fun, uh, especially for, you know, people in Edmonton and Calgary, because it is. I think it's the best rivalry. It's the biggest rivalry. It's probably the longest rivalry in the CFL. And uh, they can never play in the Grey Cup unless somebody goes the other way. And and, and if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be the year where nobody's going to finish 500 in the East. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It's tough, though. That's a lot. That's that's a lot of flights. I mean, you got to fly to Hamilton, fly home, fly to Ottawa, fly home, fly to Toronto. Yeah, you know, and they're that's cozy in, in their beds. Unless unless you stay out there after the Eastern Final, I don't know. Which they won't. Oh, East <coughs> Final? You mean after the East Final? Yeah. Oh, that. Could I mean, I would go if if you win the semifinal, you come home, you load up, and you say, okay, we're going to the uh, we're going to Ottawa now, and if we win, we're going straight to Toronto, and we're gonna you know jump because you go Wednesday anyway, right? So or yeah. Tuesday night, so. Well, the, I, and that's probably a, that would probably be logistically a smart way to do it. But the the danger is, is that, I mean, when you're going into play a playoff game, especially something like that, if they if they make it to the East final, uh, you don't want them thinking about anything else. You don't yeah. want them focused on anything but that game. But it, so if you're gonna stay out there, you got to make sure everybody's packed for two weeks, and 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 there's just that that danger of uh, somebody getting ahead of themselves, and and uh, and then all of a sudden you're flying back with a full suitcase. Yeah, lots to go to before it's decided, though. Of course, two more games to go for the Eskimos. They'll be in Hamilton on Friday night, uh, 3:30 pregame, five o'clock for the kickoff, and then that home game on November 5th against the Toronto Argonauts, which at one point looked like it was going to be a terrific game and maybe a game for that crossover spot, but the Argos continue to lose, so uh, they're out of it now. So it's uh, going to be a game of importance only for the Eskimos and for whoever wins the 50-50, which starts at $50,000 that night. Uh, by the way, you get a ticket, a 50-50 ticket, just by buying a ticket to the game. So you'll get that first 20000 get that going in. So uh, that should be a good afternoon uh, coming up on November 5th. Game before that, though, Friday night in Hamilton. And uh, two weeks from now, we'll know who's playing who and in what division it will be in. And we'll, of course, sort it out as we go along. We're going to head to the newsroom now. Be back with more after the news. You're listening to The Eskimo Show on 630 Chat. This is The Eskimo Show with Morley Scott on Eskimos Radio. 630 Chat. 
company in here tonight with me. Uh, Dave Campbell has stuck around. Jerry Matajong uh, from uh, Post Media is in, and our very own Blake Dermott joins us uh, as well. Uh, we were talking East or West before the break, and, and if there's an easier route or not, and I think we've generally decided there's not. Playoff games are hard to win no matter who you're playing. And how many times have we seen a team that didn't play well during the regular season come up and, and have a pretty good run at playoff time? And, and I think those Eastern teams, even though their records aren't very good, they're kind of scary because if Caleros comes back, everybody's been banging the drum for Hamilton all year. They don't win much, but everyone says, oh, they're going to be a good team, they're going to be a good team. Caleros practiced today, looks like he's going to play Friday. Uh, that, that changes things a lot for them, and if they can get a guy or two back because they've been pretty banged up health-wise, they might be a pretty good team and a pretty tough challenge. Look Look at what happened to Winnipeg. All, all, all of a sudden, yep. they, were, they added one piece to the puzzle, and they were all of a sudden a good team. So, uh, I mean, you can't overstate how much a QB means to a club. And you know the value of Zach Caleros uh, to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And, um, I mean, Jeremiah Masoli has, you know, done some good things. and But he is an enigma. I mean, one drive he looks like the worst quarterback that ever played. And the next drive he's, or, you know, several series, he's passing the ball for 23 straight completions and uh-huh. sets a CFL record. But Zach Caleros is... You know, when he's on and has the chemistry with his receivers and has the uh, the time to throw, he's dangerous. I mean, I think he was on his way to an MOP campaign mm-hmm. last year. Then he got hurt uh, the game in Edmonton and ha- uh, at Tim Hortons Field. And uh, this year it's been, you know, a tough go for him. And he definitely hasn't looked like the same Zach Caleros that we saw last year. Um, he hasn't had many good performances and then you look on the other side, that defense led by defensive coordinator Orlando Steinauer, they went through a lot of changes, and they haven't looked very good for most of the year. But what do they do against the Ottawa Red Blacks? I mean, they, they look horrible in the first half. They allow over 240 yards of offense. And then in the second half, they only allow six points. That, and that includes overtime. So it looked a lot like the, the defense of last year. So they have experience, you know, and that is something that is a, a valuable asset to have, and they have it. Uh, this is on the text line at 6.30, I'd love. We've kind of already addressed this, but uh, I'd love to know when we'll see James Franklin. He's not Mike Riley, but we're one vicious hit to our quarterback from being in real trouble. I'd like to see them knock the rust off Franklin just in case he's needed. That's from uh, Mo the Diehard. Uh, every starter is one vicious hit away from being knocked out. That doesn't mean you play backups at all times, right? Quarterbacks, I know, are a little different, but... I don't see it happening. Maybe if if it's guaranteed they're going to the East and their position or their playoff position is guaranteed into that final game, we might see Franklin maybe in the second half. We've only seen one pass attempt from both of the backups. Yeah. Uh, yep. Lynch's was off the bobbled field goal attempt, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, Franklin's went, I believe, complete for minus one yards. So. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and he only got in because because Riley got cut on the one hit in Ottawa. So I, I don't know. He's the quarterback, right, Blake? He plays, doesn't he? Yeah, quarterbacks don't want to come out. Uh, I, they, uh, those guys. I mean, first of all, only one of them gets on the field, and those guys have been, you know, uh, most of them have been in situations where they've been the backup before. So when they get their hands on that that starting position, they don't want to let it go, because uh, you never want to give a guy a chance to look good, uh, really. And and uh, I mean, you can be a good teammate and all that, but. But real, uh, the reality is, uh, I don't think as a uh, in professional sports or for anything, if you're 
putting your backup in just in case, then you're preparing for failure. And I think that that's one of the things that they want to try to do is that, that you know, they don't want to think about that. The, the mm-hmm. backups have to go through that, uh, the backups in football have to go through that whole process the same way that uh, James Franklin has. And when your chance comes, you better be ready. But yeah, I don't think you, you know, you get thrown in to, to try to make you better uh, uh, while the while the starter's there. Yeah, I, I don't I don't believe in taking a guy out just in case. It just, it doesn't make sense. And that's a good point. You're preparing for failure. So I, I know... Two years ago, there was a situation where Roddy got hurt late in that game against BC, and it kind of mucked the playoffs up, basically, because he had that that foot injury. But you can't. You, you, he could have got. You know, he could have got hurt when when they went after his knees, when Big Hill rolled into his knees yeah. on Saturday night. And you, you don't say that. Well, he shouldn't have been in there. Well, no, he's a quarterback. Well, Riley was that guy. Uh, you know, how many years ago in BC and you know, watching Lule play and yeah. just telling himself, you know, as soon as I get my chance, man, uh, you, you know, can't let it go. Yeah, it's I, I I think you're right. You, they play quarterbacks play, and it'd be pretty tough to tell Mike Riley he's not playing. I don't know if, if he'd win that argument. I don't want to be that guy telling him that. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, maybe Jason Moss could, but it would be a it'd be a pretty good conversation. Yeah. I'd, like to, I'd like to hear it. Uh, all right, uh, let's change topics a little bit away from the Eskimos. How good are the Calgary Stampeders? Does it matter who plays who in the playoffs? <laughs> Is anybody going to be able to beat Calgary? They're beatable. In my, in Once my, my, in June, well, yeah, well, when they we're figuring out today since last since last Labor Day, like a year ago Labor Day, they've only lost four games, three times to the Eskimos and then once to the BC Lions at the start of the season. They haven't lost a game since June this year, and they don't have you know they're just they just keep rolling along like doesn't new coach doesn't matter. The Stampeders best lose their receivers doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, first, it starts. Yeah, it starts in the front office. I mean, John Huffnagel and his staff are the best group in the league at finding talent, and and grooming that talent. Um, the Calgary Stampeders are the best team in the league at not beating themselves. I think that's a big reason why they're they're you know fifteen well, fifteen one and one right because they have their yeah. final game this weekend. Yeah, uh, in Montreal, St. Catherine Street might win out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I know Blake's it. cheering for St. Catherine. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna lose any game. <laughs> it might be this one when it absolutely means nothing. Um, but you know, Calgary, I don't look at them as a team that has a lot of explosive big play ability um, spread out in their offense. Tavares Daniels definitely is that guy. I think people are, are you know, are forgetting the name Eric Rogers watching Tavares Daniels play. I think Markway McDaniel is just a very good technician. They got Jerome Messam. They can control games with the run. I think that's very important. And defensively, I mean, they found a way to, you know, survive some pretty, uh, you know, pretty tough injuries. But they're a team that is they are the uh, the soundest team in the league as far as discipline and making sure that they don't make the key error or two errors or three errors that will determine the football game. They're the ones usually making the other team and forcing them into bad penalties and forcing them into turnovers. Um, they're just so darn efficient. But you know what? That's a, They haven't faced a lot of adversity this year, too. They're also the, the number one team at, uh, since Huffnagel arrived in 2008 as you mentioned as uh, just being able to plug and play every team mm-hmm. goes through its fair share of injuries sometimes most inopportune times but how many games has Calgary won when they've had to all of a sudden plug two defensive linemen in on the O-line Absolutely. and still come out with it it's, it's well, incredible. You think about that, it sorry. Go, ahead, go ahead Blake. I was going to say very similar to that the one thing that um, since um, Huffnagel has gotten there they, the thing that Calgary has done such a nice job of is that they, they've taken players that 
well, let's say journeyman, uh, Mercury McDaniel, Mark, uh, and then and Messam. I mean, Messam's bounced mm -hmm. around. He was cut by a team. Mm -hmm. And they've been able to fit within that system. They've been able to fit within whatever process or system that they've been able to devise and they can pull uh, they haven't had to have wholesale changes either you know they've been able to you, you plug a, uh, one one good receiver you lose one you get another receiver and everything's still the same you know so um, I, I they they've had that luxury and uh, a lot, every other team in the league has, has had to go through some especially in the west like Winnipeg and Edmonton rebuilding and Saskatchewan yeah. rebuilding and BC rebuilding but Calgary hasn't had that's, to do that that's the point I was going to make I mean while Calgary's been finishing first or second every year Saskatchewan's rebuilt I think twice Edmonton's rebuilt twice you know uh, BC's rebuilt you're right and Calgary just keeps winning. They just yeah. keep putting their guys in, and they keep winning. And it's it's the great base they have. I mean, the coaching staff's been intact for a long, long time, give or take a guy, you know, a Rich Stubler moving in and moving out here and there. But for the most part, the coaching staff's been the same for a long time, and the way they operate's been the same for a long time. And if you don't fit the way they operate, you don't stay very long. Mm -hmm. and, and now I want to ask you, like, if they win their game uh, in Montreal... Uh, they will tie the Eskimos record for most wins in a season at 16, have more points because they'll be 16-1-1. Uh, and one. and so you, you guys in 89 were 16-2. and two. Do the Eskimos get together and crack the champagne every time the last team uh, is eliminated <laughs> from getting 16 wins like the, like the Miami Dolphins do? I always I, wanted to ask you that. No, I, I, uh, I don't think. Uh, well, first of all, I don't know if any of us have had champagne in years. Uh, but uh, <laughs> probably a little bit stiffer. Um, <laughs> so, no, that, never, never thought about that. Uh, but, there, you know, there's... Uh, there's a, you know, we'll talk about it. I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was it was a pretty big deal. It was. I remember when Calgary went 15 and three, and we beat them in in '93. Uh, we, uh, you know, we we were really we didn't want them to to get the 16 because we were the only team that had ever done that. But uh, I mean, this is a good. They're a great organization, and they're they're a good football team. I just I let them get 16 one and one, and then they'll lose in the Grey Cup game. <laughs> that's yeah, that's your or the belief, Western right? Final. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really You've gone believe. on record already. I know yeah. with, with Reed about that. Yeah, I believe that they're uh, they're going to come up against somebody. There's something's going to happen. I, I just remember that 16 and two season, and and even though we'd beaten Saskatchewan last game of the season, I don't know, it was 45, 27 or something. We beat them, and and uh, but we were just there was a lot of guys that week going just talking about man. Sooner or later, we got to lose a game. Let's hope it's not this game, you know. And, and once you get that in your head, I think it, guys had a tough time getting it out of their head. And uh, I'm not saying that that's happening, but you yeah. know, maybe I'm sending a little whammy down south on the uh, QE2. But uh, I, I just think that there there is something about that. It's it's very difficult to continue to win. And look at the Pats uh, a couple yep. of years back. You know, yep. they just they just it, it's tough to do that and the motivation for every team that has to play you gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Yeah, those Dolphins didn't didn't crack the champagne until February that year, but yeah. they did they did eventually crack it. It's it's that second number in that 16-1-1 one one record, that one loss, all they got to do is lose one time and it's all over in the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, that can be done, yeah. right? Very true, very true. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, MOP season is uh, coming up. The voting for the teams is going to start soon, so we'll uh, kick that around about the Eskimos and, uh, and see what your thoughts are around the table about uh, Eskimo's most outstanding players. Uh, that and more as we continue. It's the Eskimo Show on 630 Chit, 8.45 in the evening. You're listening to the Eskimo Show on Eskimo's Radio, 6.30 Chit. I, 
I guess this is where we talk, right? Uh, music ends. <laughs> music ends. Uh, talks. Music ends, and we talk. It's just the good stories. It's on the sheet of paper in front of you, man. There you go. All right. <laughs> We're back on the Eskimo show. We got a round table going tonight uh, uh, in studio with Blake Dermott, uh, Jerry Montajong, and uh, Dave Campbell. Uh, MOP season is coming up. The voting uh, will uh, begin. I think what you're the chapter chairman, aren't you, Dave? I don't know when it begins. <laughs> okay. Well, you let us know this week or next week. Okay, we'll start to vote for it. So I thought we'd just kick it around a little bit. Uh, the, the weird one for the Eskimos is Rookie of the Year because uh, an Eskimos won that award the last two years. Uh, <laughs> Not this year. But this year uh, <laughs> this year it's hard to pick a guy because yeah. there really hasn't been a rookie who's made an impact. Uh, out of the guys on the list, uh, Brandon Zilstra and Gary Peters are the only two guys who are really playing and on the line. Everybody else is pretty much either on the injured list or the practice roster and hasn't, and hasn't you know, been that big of a contributor yet. So we're just going to completely ignore Kenzel, though. Uh, well, he's on the practice roster. That's what that's what I mean. I, he, so he's a yeah. guy. He, I guess he's 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 in the mix, too. I mean, he put up he did, did get a lot of yards this year, right? Well, you know? I'll say this. I'm trying to think of which rookie had the biggest impact this year, which is really difficult, <laughs> but I would say... Oh, it, to me, it's Brandon Zilstra. Brandon Zilstra, yeah. yeah. Brandon Zilstra. I mean, yeah. he's only played five games, four games? Four games, I think. Four, four games. games yeah. uh, had a 100-yard game a week ago and a touchdown. I don't know. It's a tough call. Those, those got a tough job, man. I mean, uh, when was the last really good return man this club has had? Uh, yeah. I'm thinking maybe well, back to Tristan Jackson, and that's... Number two. If you, well, yeah. <laughs> His okay. was good. If you go way back. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, yeah. it's been a long time. And, I mean, as a rookie, he's held that job down doing... <laughs> Doing enough of what he's asked to do uh, for a long time this season, uh, they finally, you know, got tired of him, wanted something flashier, and that's turned into uh, two fumbles in two, two games. Two fumbles in two games, and what was it, 10, 10 points off of those fumbles uh, for the opposition. So, uh, I mean, he he maybe wasn't wasn't flashy, but uh, he sure did the the yeoman's work for a lot of the season. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll we'll throw Doe in the mix with Zilstra and Peters, and we'll we'll see what comes out when, when the vote happens. But uh, clearly, it's not going to be like the last two years, Blake, where Eskimos have uh, Dexter McCoyle, Dexter McCoyle, and two Darrell years Walker. ago, and Darrell Walker last year yeah. winning the CFL Rookie of the Year award. So, well, if I could throw my two cents in here, I, I think that uh, had Brandon Zilstra uh, played more this year, he would have been a, a clear-cut uh, rookie. Yeah. yeah, and and you know, I I, I agree with Jerry that. Uh, uh, Doe has had uh, some some decent numbers, and he's hung on to a, a position that, first of all, it, you got a lot of times those guys are out of there because they get injured, and uh, and he's been able to uh, maintain that position for all but the was it the first game of the season, and then the last uh, last two he hasn't been in, so so it's been a, a long stretch, and. Uh, and he may be back in this week, especially after what's happened over the last couple of weeks. So I, I don't know. Uh, he, he, he would be a decent choice, but I just think somebody that has had an impact uh, and would have had a greater impact is probably uh, Zilstra. And I don't know why. Like they, This guy, they say he's got 4'2", four, 4'3", four, speed. He's, what, 6'2", six 6'3". Foot six yeah. foot he's a big guy. and. Maybe they should let him return kicks. I don't know. He might just be too big a target. Yeah. Uh, but but he, he did do it in college, I think, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he did. Well, that'd be interesting. And again, Kenzel Doe, I mean, he's he's been steady. He's not been spectacular. He's been steady. His average is, is below what everybody else has in the league. I think he's like 8.8 yards per punt return. But the one thing, he as, as was pointed out to us a lot, he never drops a football. Yeah. You know? He fumbled it once, but they recovered it. And, so. and they recovered it, right? He's, so that's that's he touched the ball a lot. Like, I mean, he did almost every punt and every kickoff uh, and fumbled once. The, the other two guys like 12 the other, games. Yeah, the other two guys fumbled both away. So. Yeah, and I mean Joe McKnight 
fumbled four times, I think, in two games, and and uh, and now we've got two fumbles with Studemeyer in two games. So I, I think, in fairness to Doe as well, uh, I don't, I'm not convinced that this has been the best uh, uh, mm. v- version of the Eskimos uh, special teams uh, mm-hmm. this year that they've had over the last number of years. You put them in some of those other uh, some of those other teams when when you know the guys are blocking better or whatever. Uh, I think he he, he has maybe a little bit more spectacular season than he did but i mean he's he just his numbers are what they are i mean mm-hmm. he can't he can't hide from those but i uh, i don't think it's all on him all right so we'll we'll, we'll say zilstra yeah we'll say zilstra even with his lack of uh, lack of games yes all yeah. all he has to do is you know go off for 250 yards in hamilton on yeah, and, 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 uh, cements it. Bruce just texted us, uh, too, at 636 30. Is Kenny Ladder a rookie? Yes, but he does, he's not eligible for rookie of the year. He played one game in the NFL on an active roster. He's, he's a CFL rookie, but a he was a dumb yeah. rule, in my opinion. There yeah. should be minimum game requirements. I, I don't think he played, like, he's on the active roster, but I don't know how much he played or exactly. whatever. But, uh, yeah, exactly. he's, if, if he's in it, he's clear out. He's clearly the, the Eskimos rookie of the year. But, the true rookie is Kenny Ladder. But, yeah. uh, but not eligible for sure. All right, let's, uh, let's move along, uh, top. Canadian. Sean White. Sean White's got to be, right? Oh, yeah. He's, I mean, he's had a fantastic year, except for converts. Yeah. yeah. Which is really weird. Dave, when Dave and I were talking about this. Boris Beattie in Montreal, uh, he was perfect in converts in the early season, but he couldn't hit a seven-yard field goal if he had to <laughs> yeah. early in the year. I mean, he missed everything. He was like at 42% on field goals and 100% on, on converts. But for and, and Sean White's missed, I think, five or six converts now. Yeah. And he's only missed three field goals all year. They've all been outside the 50. Yeah. That's, it's it's kind of weird. It, it, but whatever, yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't complain about his year, though, for sure. No, he's had a he's had a, an exceptional year. What is he? Is he kicking at something like ninety three or ninety? Yeah, like ninety three percent. And yeah. and he's got a chance if he gets a lot of opportunities to uh, set the record for the highest percentage if he hits them all too. But I don't think he's going to get enough opportunities mm-hmm. uh, to get it up there. So uh, Sean White, top Canadian special teams player, is probably Sean White Sean too. Sean White, right? with a with a honorable mention to Mike Miller, who yes. leads the league in, in special teams tackle, or at least did going into the week. So mm-hmm. I don't know if he got one or not uh, in in uh, in the game on the weekend. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of tough when you have a really good year, but the other guy ahead he has a really great year. So <laughs> uh, Mike Miller's out, and it'll be Sean White as a special teams player as well. Uh, defensive player of the year. This one's this one's pretty interesting because there hasn't to me been a guy who you know they've been they've been good but there hasn't been a guy who's really stood out made a ton of tackles or made a ton of sacks i'll go with armando Silva. Yeah, me too yeah he i mean when when an interior nose tackle is leading your nine team sacks. Ta- nine sacks you know he's hey he's just had a great i year. apparently was wrong there is a guy who stands out because he's my <laughs> my pick too i guess uh, yeah he's he's had he has had a great year for sure um so he's an easy easy unanimous choice no you didn't ask me <laughs> well you nodded your head it's radio, Dave. You got to talk. Go ahead. J.C. Sherrick. Really? Eh? Yep. Oh. Five forced fumbles is. Yeah, leads the league in that department. And so. he's had a couple of picks, right? Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's Three, been all over the field. Three. So, see, well, good choice, very good choice. But uh, uh, Sherrick's been, you know, I think he's been all over the field mm-hmm. in, in a good way. It's going to be tough uh, going up against either one of those two linebackers in BC. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Players, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alamemian's going to win it probably again, or then and Big Big Hill won't even get nominated because Alamemian won't get it, right? Well, I don't know how many tackles Alamemian had in the last game, but Big Hill hit a hundred, so there was a well, there was nine or thirteen tackles between the two of yeah. them, a difference, and and I don't know if Alamemian had a ton of tackles. I think he only had a couple of, uh, up until really late yeah, in the game. Yeah, pretty so, quiet. Yeah. So I mean. 
there's two games left. Mm-hmm. Big Hill could overtake them. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That'd be a tough vote then uh, in Vancouver. Uh, MOP. We got like a minute here. Music's playing. So MOP. It's two choices, right? Yeah. Uh, it's Mike Riley or Darius Bowman. Michael Riley. Yeah, I, I would say Mike Riley. Uh, I, I think he, he still has that outside chance of hitting 6,000 yards. And uh, doesn't again, doesn't matter. He's going to be going up against Bo Levi. And uh, yeah. I think that's going to be a, yeah. a done deal. Jerry? Let's go with Riley. All right, me too. <laughs> Unanimous choice. Uh, there you go. Guys, thanks for coming in. appreciate your time tonight. Uh, that, that's it. We'll uh, we'll see uh, what happens in Hamilton on uh, Friday night. Uh, Blake, thanks for coming in. appreciate it. Okay. Jerry Montajon from Post Media. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Uh, you will. Dave, thanks for hanging around. See you tomorrow. My name's Morty Scott. That's the Eskimo Show for this week. Uh, we're on the air 3.30 Friday afternoon from Hamilton. The Eskimos and the Thai Cats uh, back in here next Monday night for another edition of the Eskimo Show. Have a great night, everybody.